Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Welcome back, Scriptorians. We are going to hit 1 Corinthians today, so we are moving right through the letters of Paul. And today, we're going to kind of answer the question of what was it like living in Corinth in the first century? What were the issues of the day? Why did Paul have to write them a number of letters to correct all their practices and doctrines? So next, uh, that's what we will do in 1 Corinthians. First, let's, um, let's jump back. Now, you remember these all about, I just made a very generic name here, all about Corinthians or all about Romans or all about Acts is kind of where we take a step back. And before we jump into the text itself, let's take a step back and look at the big picture and setting and context because uh, I think that that's super important. But what I wanted to do then is to make sure we knew some of these um, big words. So I'm going to define some big words for you. You might have heard, might not have heard, but they're cool and you can impress your friends. Um, the first is context. You already know the context, but, you know, why do we even study it? And, uh, you know, aren't those scriptures really valuable only if we practice them? So who really cares what they were like then? Well, you're probably not listening to this podcast if you didn't care about that stuff. But... I find it, uh, it's all true that we should, it's all about what we practice. It's about what we do and what we become through Christ. However, I think it's super helpful to put all these teachings in the context, whether it's the culture, the history, the beliefs of the day, the language they spoke, um, just everything that was going on. Because if you don't, then you don't really understand what's going on. And in this case, in the letter to the Corinthians, it's super one-sided if we don't have that. We now, in this case, we only have Paul's writings, so we don't know very much. We're kind of putting together, um, it's just his answer. It's like listening to one side of a phone call, right? You're like, I can only kind of guess what he's talking about based on his answers. And that's what's happening in Corinthians and all the letters. You're, you're just getting this response. So it's really helpful, I think, in these letters to try to understand and reconstruct what's going on. So that's what we're going to do is a little bit of context. Uh, I do want to use a big word. So here's the big word that we want to define, exegesis. You might have heard of that one. Uh, it's a technical term for when we try to use context and when we try to find out what the original meaning was that the author intended. So we say, well, what, what was he or she trying to say? Who was he writing to? And then maybe this would make more sense. And that whole idea is exegesis. Um, so it's really, you're trying to ask, well, what's the point? What was what were they writing this about? And, and then it, it really helps. Um, one, uh, which is the opposite of another big word, eisegesis. So the first one is exegesis, and the second one's eisegesis. And eisegesis is a technical term of the opposite of what we just said. And that's what, instead of trying to find out the original meaning, you try to, like, inject your own ideas and agendas and biases. Uh, it's commonly called reading into the text or proof texting. Uh, so one of my favorites is people will have a belief, right? And then they'll say, well, I wonder if that's in the Bible. And then they'll go scramble around in the index or online and say, here's a scripture 
about that and, and it might not mean anything like that. Um, let me give you an example of a bad example. It's not even a scriptural example of eisegesis. If, if you just took a quote and said, running is good. Bob said, running is good. And he said, oh, well, I should be a runner because here's this quote about running being good. Uh, that's um, taken kind of out of context, right? And maybe the story is this, that uh, you, you're late uh, for a test at school and you were hustling and then you just told yourself, I better hustle, uh, running is good. So in that context, it wasn't that you should become a marathon runner, it's that you should get to class very quickly. That's, that's a good example of taking something out of context. That happens all the time in the scriptures and we're all kind of guilty of that. So exegesis, find out what they mean. Eisegesis, you inject it, don't do that. Uh, another one, the last big word, and then we'll jump in, but the last big word is hermeneutics or hermeneutics. And that's a big word to just basically say, what does it mean to us today? So once you figure out the exegesis, then you can say, well, who cares? And then we use hermeneutics to say, well, that's likening the scriptures unto ourselves. All right, well, there are your three big words for the day, but that's a little bit what we're going to do today. And uh, you can impress all your friends at a dinner party by throwing those around or your come follow me lesson because they'll hate that. All right, so first Corinthians, let's do a little exegesis and see if we can figure it out. First, let's talk about, we'll do the who's, the what's, um, and, and what was going on. So we'll do a little who's first. First, this is a letter written um, to the saints in Corinth. And uh, Corinth is a really big city. We think it was probably, this letter was probably written in the mid-50s. And uh, Paul spent about a year and a half living there. And he tells us that in Acts 18. So he Remember, Paul had gone around first, and he had kind of established these churches. In a few cases, he hadn't. He's writing to the churches that someone else had established, Peter or somebody else. But he is then writing these letters or going back. Then in this case, um, there are a few key people there we might have heard about already. But Aquila and Priscilla, the power couple that we heard about that was from Rome, and they got kicked out, and they head over to this place called Corinth. Um, and they were all tent makers. So they were tent makers, and Paul was a tent maker. So they worked together. It's probably how he met them, um, but, but kind of cool. And then we meet Silas and Timothy, both missionary companions at one point, and they are from Macedonia. Macedonia is a little bit north. Uh, we call it Greece today. And they meet uh, uh, Titius Justus, who lives next door to the synagogue in Corinth. So this guy, Titus or Titius. And then, um, anyway, the, we learn in, in Acts 18 that there were some... Uh, problems where Paul goes to Corinth and he's teaching and remember he always goes to the synagogue and he goes there and some people really listen and a few of the people names we just those names I just slaughtered but he teaches some of those next door neighbor and the guys but uh, eventually people weren't there was an official of the synagogue he was meaning he was one of the leaders there but he the Jewish leadership other than those guys Crispus is one of the good guys but they they're really mad at Paul for teaching this. So they kick him out and Paul's pretty aggressive, right? You gotta love him. He's like, shakes his clothes from the dust, his dust out of his clothes and says like, from now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And so he's mad at the Jewish leadership. Although some of them are, are become saints. And then Paul teaches and works to support himself. And uh, eventually he gets beaten up and uh, Rome steps in and says, look, this is just religion. So this isn't really that big of a domestic issue or a civil issue but Paul's always getting kicked out of town and that's what happens and then Paul's gone and while he's in Ephesus he hears that Corinth is experiencing some problems 
Uh, so that's that's kind of the background. And you get all of that in Acts 18. So you can read that. I didn't make any of that up. Um, so there you go. But let's talk about Corinth. Corinth is a really interesting place, and it makes a lot more sense if you know what's going on in Corinth. First, it's a very commercial city, and it's right in a map of Greece. It's in Greece. And in a map of Greece on the east side, but it's in this little tiny, almost like a canal that separates uh, where the uh, oh, the water comes in on both sides and going around the Peloponnese the like fingers of Greece is really dangerous on a ship so the trade boats would come into Corinth and then sometimes portage the stuff across this little tiny land bridge just a little narrow neck of land and then go there so it became a very high trade place um, but also uh, seafaring so the uh, you had all kinds of different cultures and, and ships and trade and, and it was big. In fact, this is New Corinth. Uh, there was a Corinth before and it was destroyed and actually in about a hundred years it's going to be completely demolished again. Thanks Rome. Uh, there was an uprising there. So Rome just demolishes it and it never really regains this status. In fact, if you go now, it's uh, it's a ruin. There's nothing there. There's not even really touristy stuff there anymore. So Corinth is pretty much gone. But that's the city. Uh, so it's... um. New Corinth, it is cool. It's where things were happening. It was trendy. Also, uh, it was the byword for immorality. So if you told someone they were a Corinthian, it meant they were immoral, they were loose. So it kind of reminds me of uh, like the Vegas Strip. I know Las Vegas is pretty awesome, the rest of it, but the Las Vegas Strip is not known for its morals and it's glitzy and, and that's kind of what Corinth was like. It was also though, a big center for religion. So there were more pagan temples than restaurants. So there was just a temple on every corner um, and they, everyone was full of wisdom. They were peddling their wisdom from all these different religions and philosophers. And so it was really well known for that. But you gotta think of it as like these intellectuals that were teaching this stuff, they were like the superstars. Uh, they were kind of selling their insights I don't know of a great analogy, but one thing might be like the guys that are motivational speakers today or like TED Talks where they're like the new upcoming thing. Uh, that was kind of what it was like. But remember, the big thing was what was new? What was the trend? What was the cutting edge? And lots of people were calling, saying about wisdom. Um, so welcome to London or Chicago or Silicon Valley or or uh, wherever you live, there's probably a big city that's the new trendy place that has all the hip knowledge and and that's what Corinth was. Um, additionally, they had a very prolific sex trade. So there were a thousand prostitutes and they were known to be very beautiful. But this was also in relation to religion. Remember, one of the practices was a ritual prostitution and, and you would go and, and do that and then that was somehow a religious experience super different, but it's going to become important because it's going to come up to in this letter. So I mentioned that not because it's scandalous, but because if you don't know that context, then it's going to be one of the issues that Corinth was facing. And if you lived in a place like that, you can see why this would be an issue. This was not an Amish community. It was uh, nothing like that. So it was the opposite, right? So that's kind of the framework. The framework that we're going to read all of this through is that Corinth lived on a uh, this high spirituality. Additionally, they were, remember, it was always trendy and moving and shaking and really emotional, high levels of emotion. And there was also this spiritual ecstasy, like a, like 
you were having some super spiritual experience. You might have seen some of these practices where people um, may have shown spiritual gifts, but they seem to get kind of out of control. It's kind of like that. So it was the more you were out of your mind, the more spiritual you are. Now, remember, this was also, these are all contextual. This is all going to be an issue that Paul's going to have to write about. And this was very popular. So the more out of your mind with the spiritual mysticism you were, the more spiritual you would seem if you were not a saint, if you were just in town. And so he's going to see that there's problems. Um, lastly, part of this uber spirituality of the day in Corinth was seen that um, your spirit is everything, right? Your, your, your non-physical form. So your body is, is kind of put to the side. This denigration of the body is seen. So remember, if you're super spiritual, then you're not this carnal side of you. It doesn't matter. So sometimes it would show up as it didn't matter what you did with your body, so go do anything. So you would have gluttony and heavy eating, and Paul's going to run into that. And you'd have maybe immorality, right? Those things didn't matter to your what you did with your body because you're spiritual, right? And so there was this this idea creeping in and in your sexual practices and your eating practices and how you treated your body. And this is where we're going to see those, your body's a temple, right? And additionally, you're going to see some of these issues with resurrection where they just didn't really believe in it. It was confusing because that's what was happening in Corinth, this whole denigration of the body. You just disregard it. Um, so just jump on the immorality train. You don't need that body. Got it? So that's one of the um, uh, one of the other kind of issues with how what it was like there. Um, you lived above the material plane. So there was no heaven. There was no celestial kingdom. There was nothing afterwards. You were already experiencing these blessings. So you'll see in like chapter 4, 8 where, he, where Paul really rebukes them. Because you're saying, well, we've we've become kings, and and so we're just super spiritual already, and it doesn't really make any sense to us. But it, it makes again weird, right? Okay, so just keep that one. So, um, so that's probably oh, one last thing. One last thing I made a note on um, was your ability to be a speaker, public speaker. So I mentioned where these guys were like the orators or the public speaking, kind of the TED talks, and. Don't get me wrong, I love a good TED Talk. I am obsessed with TED Talks, um, but everyone's peddling their wisdom and they're sometimes contradictory, but awesome, right? And YouTube videos, I love all of those. But that's what it was like there too. So one of the things culturally is to be a, your basics of your education in the Greek world was rhetoric and speech and public speaking. And so to really be someone that was worth listening to, you had to be a really great public speaker. And so that is what they're looking for. Now, remember, Paul is a Pharisee, and he sounds like he's a pretty good public speaker, but he wasn't in the same slant or the same style. So you'll see in the, one of the first issues that people have is that they're looking for somebody to be flashy and be a big speaker. And that's not Paul's style. Probably wasn't any of them, Apollos or, or uh, Peter or whomever, whatever the guy's names were there, the gals. But that was a big issue for them as they're looking for these flashy TED Talk guys. And maybe they weren't. So so that's going to uh, be all a reality of how they were living. So lastly, just think our culture, here's your hermeneutics for you. Here's your takeaway of this idea. Our culture impacts us probably far more than we realize. Our, our cultural predispositions are our approaches to things and just how we see things can really move us away sometimes from the scripture and the church, right? We just come with these ideas and those ideas may 
lead us to different conclusions. So uh, similar to what was facing there, but it's going to be really prevalent in Corinthians and 2 Corinthians when you read that. And there was probably a 3rd Corinthians, and we've lost it, and came probably in between, but we'll talk about that next time. Okay, so you can see um, that's probably it. Next, let me talk a little bit about potential structure. Now, don't email me and get mad that you're like, that isn't the structure. This is just a way to think about it. it you can outline this any way you want, but there's a great way for, for me that uh, I was taught that teaches you kind of a structure of 1 Corinthians. And I want you to watch out for it. I think it really helps keep in mind what's going on. So remember, he's writing a letter and he basically says, hey, I heard that there's problems and I'm going to correct them. So he is going to follow that uh, structure. He's going to describe the problem and then he's going to respond with how the news of the gospel in Jesus Christ is the good news to solve those problems. So he's going to take the cultural problem or the issue of the day, and he's going to then show how the gospel of Jesus Christ is curative to that problem. Okay, so you're going to see that back and forth and that back and forth. Uh, so we're going to learn to think of every area of life through this lens of the gospel, right? So everything we do, we can say, hey, I wonder how Christ shows me how to do that. So let me just show you a couple of ways that this breaks up because there are about five chunks. First is chapters one through four, and that's about division. So there was a lot of leadership division, there were groupies showing up, and then they were bad talking about these different leaders. And so Paul will explain how it isn't about these leaders or these teachers, it's about Christ and he is the reason for unity. So chapters one through four, good way to think of it, division and then unity through Christ. Five through seven is six, sexual immorality. So this was, it was leading to broken relationships um, and issues, and he's trying to address that this was really tearing the church apart and that what we do with our bodies matters. So he gives some motivation about being chaste and pure in that the reality of the resurrection, these bodies go with us. And so it's gonna be important what we do with them now. So he's gonna talk about that in five through seven. The third chunk is chapters eight through 10, and that's food. So we think food. But uh, yeah, this isn't so much what you like and what you don't like, but issues over the food eaten at sacrifices and maybe to other gods. And there was a core principle here about how it was affecting the congregation and how it made people feel. And so this one's super, I think, applicable for us. I, I will do this next time. The fourth chunk, 11 through 14, is the actual church meeting. So what was going on? So this was, I kind of alluded to it in the context, but this was where people were having these spiritual gifts and they were speaking in tongues and having these outbursts and then someone else would jump up and make a comment about scriptures and it was really disruptive. And so uh, Paul's going to talk about these gifts of the spirit and when to use them and, and how Christ's love will teach us how to apply these gifts. And this one also, I think a lot of uh, super applicable things for us today. So in that church meetings, uh, not that you're having those. But anyway, I think there's some application. We'll jump into that. And then the last chunk is just 15, and it's powerful. It's our favorite one. We always jump here and talk about baptisms of the dead. And yes, that is part of the topic, and that is the resurrection. The Corinthians were confused over this core doctrine. Like we said, they super spirituality and our bodies and is there heaven? And it's just super confusing to them because of their culture. And so we're going to re come back to this in multiple uh, podcasts, but you're going to see that Paul is going to talk about the, to the Corinthians about the important doctrine, the fundamental doctrine of the resurrection of Christ, and then therefore our resurrections, and, and that's uh, 
just something super confusing. And again, we might not get. So that's chapter, or this fifth section, chapter 15. So in all, uh, the church in Corinth was really struggling with how to reconcile their culture and their new branch and how their behaviors and their beliefs were causing these divisions and strife. And this was a really young congregation. And, and so as we understand the role of the Savior, if we use that as our lens, then he could heal the separation and there could be unity. So that's it, Scriptorians. That is all about 1 Corinthians. Keep reading and we will talk to you next time.